it is that metal concept of look, we're 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 digging deep for each other. And look, if something's working for me, it's going to work for you. Chances are, so let's pool and share and help. And the concept of your colleague just being somebody who works in the immediate building of you as you, that concept it has. I hope we never return to that. My concept of what a colleague is extends far beyond that. Our walls are porous and our relationships are deep. And I think we have learned the importance of that over the past couple of months, you know. Welcome to Lighting a Fire, all things teaching and learning with the Teaching Council. Hi everyone and welcome to episode number four in the Teaching Council's Lighting a Fire podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things teaching and learning with a diversity of voices. My name is Tomás O'Rourke and I am the Director and CEO of the Teaching Council in Ireland. In these episodes where we interview a guest, I'll be joined by a guest co-host. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague in the Teaching Council, Brian Fahey, who is a primary teacher working in secondment with us. For how long are you with us now, Brian? Hi, Tomás. I'm with you since the end of 2018. My God, time flies when you're having fun, Brian, eh? That's it, yeah. I bet you didn't <laughs> think I'd be here that long. <laughs> and tell us, Brian, tell us a bit more about yourself, your background as a teacher, what brought you into teaching? So um, I qualified from Mary I in 2011, and I'm currently teaching in St. Essence National School in Limerick, but as you said, it's seconded to the council since December 2018. Um, I'm from Mayo, so I've background in sport I suppose everyone from Mayo has an interest in in GA um my dad is a retired uh secondary school teacher and uh I suppose that has influenced my path into teaching so that that's just a brief um background of myself so I've been teaching in Ireland basically since uh 2011 2011 and, and the hunt for Sam goes on Brian doesn't it it does, yeah. And we've had six retirements this year. Seamus O'Shea, Keith Higgins, <laughs> Tom Parsons, David Clark, Donny Vaughan Hall. The list goes on. So it could it's be a struggle, but who knows? <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we'll come up for discussion with our guest uh, in, in a few moments on, on this episode. Before I come to our guest, Brian, um, we always ask our guest co-host, what does the phrase light in a fire mean to you? Or if you'll pardon the pun, what does it spark in you? So lighting a fire, it, yeah, it's a it's an interesting title for the podcast series. I suppose I have to mind my words here. I'd, I, I'm presuming that you came up with the title, Tomas. I can't be too critical here or I'll be sent back to Limerick <laughs> fairly quickly. I can never confirm or deny the rumours, Brian. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, light, lighting a fire, it, it's interesting. I, I would probably think of it as the fire is always lit in people for natural curiosity and wonder, especially in education where children are always asking questions so maybe more so nurturing the fire so that it doesn't become extinguished and I suppose for the podcast series here and lighting a fire it's about I suppose sparking these conversations as you said about teaching and learning and I suppose fire can be so destructive and like education if you deprive people of it and um, but at the same time giving an education to someone it provides you know quality of life um, equity, access, opportunity. So, it uh, you can look at it in, in in two ways like that. So, I suppose they're just some initial thoughts. Well, it's like in a sense you're saying that education, in the sense that it is a fire, it's a gift that has to be carefully nurtured, 
and it can warm, it can light, we can cook food over it and all the rest, but it has to be treated with care and respect for it to deliver those those benefits. Um Thanks for that, Brian. So I'm going to come to our guests in a moment. Before I do, a shout out to our listeners. We have actually listeners in as far flung as North and South America and Europe. And believe it or not, we have one listener in each of the following countries. That's the Netherlands, Argentina, Sweden and Denmark. Literally one listener so far in each of those countries. So to each of you, if you're listening to this particular podcast episode, hello to all of you. And thanks for joining, for tuning into the podcast. And like all our listeners, we'd like to know what you think of the podcast. But that was very interesting that we've had literally one listener in, in each of those countries, literally around the world, Netherlands, Argentina, Sweden, and Denmark. So that's no pressure for our guest on today's episode that we're speaking to literally a global a global audience. And our guest for the conversation this episode is Kira Riley. Kira, I think, will be well known to many teachers around the country and probably further afield through her contributions on Twitter via the hashtag EdChatty, as well as her pioneering work in bringing Teach Me to Ireland with Kathleen Byrne. And I'm looking forward to discussing that with her in particular further on the conversation. She's now a lecturer in the Marino Institute of Education and started her career as a primary teacher. Kira, do you want to say a bit more about who you are, your interest in education, the areas that you cover in Merino and so on, please? Um, I will, of course. Um, and hello, Tomas and Brian, and hello to everybody listening. It's great to be involved in the podcast. Delighted to be a guest. A very humbling experience, um, and I hope that people enjoy the few bits that I can contribute. So I suppose to take it back, um, I'm originally from Kilkenny, uh, very proud Kilkenny woman. And yes, I will be happy to talk all matters sport <laughs> with you, Brian. Brilliant. Uh, once we could be as sensitive with each other as we need to be because things are difficult for our respective counties at the moment, but more and on. <laughs> uh, so from Kilkenny and um, went to school in St. Lacton's Primary School in, in Freshford in North Kilkenny, where my first teacher was my own mother. Uh, oh. I can again talk about that uh, <laughs> with you. Be. I can dish the dirt there. Give Good. Her a <laughs> uh, went on to secondary school in uh, the presentation secondary school in Kilkenny. Uh, marvellous schooling experiences in both places. And then after my leaving cert, I went on to study a Bachelor of Civil Law degree in UCD. Loved it. Um, thought I was different to the rest of my family. And I should say all three of my siblings ahead of me are all teachers. And I thought I was going to be the, uh, the one to break them all. Turned yes. out. I was exactly like them. And I had an epiphany moment after my degree as I was completing my FE1 exams. I decided teaching was was the, the, the road for me. And I was lucky enough to get a place in what was then the postgrad and primary teaching um, in the Marino Institute of Education, which has turned out to be my Hotel California. I'm now back there. <laughs> <laughs> digital education um but in, in between leaving marino and um coming back now as a lecturer i have had many happy years teaching in saint peter's primary in bray and then i had a secondment with the pdst on the digital technologies team and that right. ultimately led me back to marino so that's that's the journey of me to this point. <laughs> wow and like there's a passion in what you're describing the care of returning to a place perhaps you thought you didn't want to go to in the first place. So Marino, you came back to be your lecturer in there now. And the teach, I'm really curious because as you, when I heard from you there, you had a, a really um, positive experience in primary and post-primary. Uh, I will come back to the mother question. Uh, I'm really <laughs> curious about that. But before we, that, what was the epiphany? Was there an epiphany when you were doing those final exams and you say there and like you decided that finally that the teaching was for you? Were there any particular things that impacted that decision at that, at that point? 
Yeah, I think so. It was a culmination of a number of different factors. I don't think I was mature enough to make life decisions at the age of 18. And when I went to do law, everything about UCD and a law degree appealed to me because it was big and there was no barriers and it was a sense of the bigger, the better. And I was really ambitious and I was lucky enough to have the points to do something um, or, uh, you know, mm. along the lines of what law required. And I felt like I needed to do something at that level in order to succeed or to feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Now, I had the most marvelous experience in UCD. I loved the degree itself. Studying law academically really suited me. But I think the work of law, and at that time, I suppose it would be important to factor in as I was emerging out of the law degree in 2007 it was the time where we were emerging into a very different landscape than what we entered into third level into with the demise of the Celtic Tiger and I had an apprenticeship lined up and I was pursuing my FE1s but I think no more than say COVID is, is is charging people to challenge what they want in the world or challenge where they are I suppose as the economy declined, I was looking at a number of my friends losing their jobs and I was looking at what was it that was really going to make me happy in life? What was the work that I was going to be happy to do getting up on a wet Tuesday morning in November? Mm-hmm. Too? And ultimately, I didn't feel like law was going to be that place for me. It was going to be ultimately too corporate and it wouldn't have had the personality and the access to the community and the locality that I think I need in my work. So I, again, I suppose I was always influenced by my family as well. And I saw how fulfilled um, they, they were in their, in their various different roles in education. Um, and I also, I loved children, but again, I was loath to say, is loving children enough to get into teaching? Yeah. And I felt, you know, at that point in my life, I was ready to do it. And as I was completing the FE1s, I was working in South Dublin libraries, uh, in the library in in Tala. And I was starting to work more directly with children on structured programs. And around that time as well, subbing was available. So I was doing some subbing and Mm -hmm. everything came into sharp focus for me. And I suppose as well, it would be important to note that in my last year in UCD, I spent a year as Deputy President of the Students' Union. And I was exposed to a number of social inequalities that I suppose up until that point in my life, my thankfully very sheltered, middle-class, happy existence, I hadn't been exposed to. And certainly the importance of education and the access of opportunity that education affords people, all of that was just cast into sharp focus in my life. So I think that all of those things kind of culminated together to the point where I can still distinctly remember October 2009, I was getting up to do my FE1 exams. And uh, it was my last exam. I had to complete criminal law. I was on my way out to the RDS to complete the exam. And I turned to my then boyfriend, now husband, and I said, going to do the exam now, but when I come home, I'm applying for the postgrad in primary education. Wow. And he took, he took a deep breath. And <laughs> I don't think he's took a breath out since. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's an extraordinary story, Kira. I mean, yeah. it's like... It was both an epiphany and it wasn't, in a sense that there were lots of things built into it, particularly very taken with your experience as the vice president of the Students' Union, the impact that had on you. And then there was there was also a moment, I mean, literally walking out the door and saying to your, you know, your now husband, by the way, I come back a different person after all of this. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, like, I definitely believe in, in 
like, and I would say this to my students all the time, there is no one route to anything. And I don't know if I would be the teacher and the person um, that I am today without having taken the route that I would have taken. Um, route, while I might have a type A personality, route one doesn't always need to be the way you, you need to go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are many ways around it. And I think, well, certainly in my experience, looking back at the teachers that I had, Manny's the time it was often the teachers who had the you know they took different routes they took different journeys they were the ones who took time out to study to travel to invest in themselves oftentimes I felt that they were the ones who really hit the right note for me in the classroom because they were coming at their teaching in a particular way and Mm -hmm. they reached us as students in a a different way so I suppose I try to be philosophical and, and think to myself I wouldn't be who I am today without having taken the journey that I did. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm curious, uh, Kira, the, the study of law, and you made that change you know, so suddenly, uh, it, even even advanced to completing your final exam. Has that study stood of that discipline stood to you in any way throughout your career as a teacher of law? Yeah, definitely. Like I see even now um, when I'm studying digital education, having a good knowledge of all matters relating to EU law is hugely beneficial to me. When I'm trying to understand at the moment in the completion of my doctorate, public policy and policy and education, understanding, um, you know, public law, understanding constitutional law, Mm -hmm. all things hugely beneficial to me. And I would think as well, I have a I suppose I, I bring a strong sense of self into the classroom and I'm I I, I really believe in my teacher agency and I feel like that is an important part of the type of educator that I am. And these are things that I feel confident in because I feel like I have an education in the background and standing of these issues. So I, I feel like it helps me to be a better teacher having understood that. And then I suppose as well, just on a on a more basic level, I just had a fantastic experience studying law and I just had a wonderful experience in UCD overall. And up until recently, I was still contributing to student life there and I was very involved in the students' union still. I was chairing the now board of directors and I was involved in student dispute and appeal boards out there. And I just, I had a marvellous experience there. I met Gav there. I met friends there. And it, it sparked some, talk about lighting a fire. I think my fire was lit in UCD. And that was what I needed at that point in my life. And then I went to Marino and I got a very different thing, which was what I needed at that point in my life. God, there's so many questions I want to ask you, Kira. But (laughs) how was Marino different? I think when I got my place in Marino, I was ready to really focus, put the head down. I had had now, I I hasten to add, I am not the wildest person you are likely to meet. I am as boring as (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe, I don't believe a word of it, Kieran. You're only kidding yourself. (laughs) Uh, I had had my wild nights out and I suppose I was ready to put my head down and really focus on the craft of teaching and and learning from people who really just, they were marvellous teachers in and of themselves who then I believe many of them just kind of stumbled into initial teacher education mm-hmm. um, because of their love of just the craft and, and the, the, the job and, and everything education. It was the small groups in Marino. It was the community spirit. It was the respect that I think we really felt as postgraduate students as well. Um, it was working with people from various different fields. I mean, my classmates had engineering degrees. They were coming in 
where, you know, uh, nurses with years um, under their belt, um, you know, in hospitals. There was people who had been opticians and, and people who had worked in tax and insurance. And I felt it was just a really rich kind of an environment to learn in. And, you know, we're so proud of the culture in Merino and it's one of inclusion and diversity and celebrating the community and giving back everything that we get we give back and I just think it was absolutely the right place for me to be and when I was applying as it was then you know it was you apply for the various colleges and then you if you are successful in your application you are sent to one of them and I happened to be sent to Merino and I definitely well I I know I wouldn't be where I am today without Merino and I'm so proud to have studied there and it's one of the reasons why I think I love working there so much because I know the impact the place can make on a, on a person's life. Oh, completely. completely. It's great Brian, to hear, sorry. Kira, as well, that, you know, hearing your background into teaching, that it wasn't direct to teaching. Like so many post-primary students these days, they're under pressure to decide what they want to do and this is it. You better make the right decision now when you're 17 because this is what you'll be doing for the rest of your life. But to know that, to give comfort to people that, you know, you can pursue something and jump to another career by doing, I suppose it's now the, the PME. Yeah. And like that idea of lifelong learning, I mean, we have a much richer understanding of what that is now, I think. But back then, you're absolutely right. And it, it, I suppose when you're in that age group, you don't think about that. You're thinking of the immediate and we're so bound up in success and achievement. And we think that that means, you know, going from one thing to the other. I mean, I just, we have to look at, like I say, if you look at our national qualifications framework and different levels of attainment and how, you know, there's, I can't emphasize this enough. There's not one way to achieve your goal. Um, yeah, like the leaving cert is absolutely important and you do your best, but it does not define you, the person who you are. Once you get beyond that point and you can involve yourself in study at whatever level, in whatever area you are interested in, your own personal characteristic bound up in that qualification and how you work with people and your enthusiasm and all of that, that will be so much more significant than whatever that piece of paper says that you get on that piece on that page in August of any one year, you know? That's right. And I, I think particularly the further education sector would be, I suppose, underexplored on that. A lot of people skip that. You know, they don't think they, they need to get into a, a third level college. They forget about all the great opportunities at level five and level six and even level seven. They think it has to be a jump from level five to level eight. But yeah, definitely. I'd agree yeah. there. Really exciting to hear the way we're now talking about things like apprenticeships again um, in a really valued way. And I think it really matters the way people like Minister Harris and his department are referring to these additional options, that they are on par with your level eights. And I just think we need to challenge that in education. We need to see every route as being a suitable route, depending on what it is that person wants to achieve. Um, we have we have work to do, but I think it, it has been improved, you know. There's a strong thread here in, in so much of what you're saying. The word that keeps popping up here in front of me is community. And 
how you speak so powerfully there about apprenticeship. So there you are, you're a primary teacher, you have a law degree on your belt, you have a postgraduate qualification, and you are speaking very passionately about the importance of apprenticeships and recognizing, in other words, a diversity of, of talent um, and all voices feeding. I think the teaching profession, I think, is often unfairly accused of that sense of elitism, that, you know, we're graduates and all the rest and other pathways don't matter. But it really is coming through. So like you're even UCD was a community for you. Marino was a community for you. Um, I'm, I'm sure Brian will come in on the, on the GEA community piece, but I, I might go back to your mm-hmm. parents a bit before I, and Brian maybe comes up from your, from your father's perspective. I have to ask you about your mother being your first teacher before we move on any further. Please, please, please dish the dirt there. I'd like to give her a glowing report. <laughs> <laughs> I was only thinking back. I mean, my mother, I, I, it, is, it is a cliche, but she is the most significant person in my life and the impact she has made on myself and my siblings it just it is unbelievable we can't quantify it and i suppose you know for three of the four of us she taught us in junior infants and if you met the fourth one now that she didn't teach i suppose that would explain a lot that's the that's the, that's the long running joke in our head <laughs> But mum was in Mary Eye. She qualified in 1977 and uh, she was the most fabulous teacher. She did three years in Mulnahone in Tipperary. Yes, she crossed enemy lines. Yes. <laughs> but, but crucially, she lived in Callan. So she was careful enough to make sure that she found her way to the penny man that way. Right. Uh, met, met my father and had three happy years in Mulnahone did a year in St. John of God's in Kilkenny and then ultimately ended up in, in Freshford, uh, a school that people maybe listening to the podcast would associate with the, the great Tom Waldron, who uh, would be very well known in Irish education circles. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, mom taught me in junior infants and she was just, I mean, I loved her. I was the smallest. And at the time when I was coming to school, started to school in, in 1990, that was when dad's uh, administrative GA career was really taken off. Okay. So today I was reared in the back of the car and joined to my mother's hip would be an understatement. Mm-hmm. So I went from not understanding any difference between what school and home was. You know, I referred to her as mommy in the classroom. So of course then all my classmates started to forget as four-year-olds and started to call her mommy. And to <laughs> We see her on the street in Freshford and complain with always mommy. <laughs> and uh, she oh, went God. on to educate generations in Freshford. And, uh, you know, I know she means so much to the community there and the community means so much to all of us. We just had a really charmed, idyllic schooling experience. And Freshford was well known for the Irish language. Okay culture for GA, quizzes in particular. That was where my quiz shark years kicked off big time. All right. <laughs> and uh, we just had the most marvellous experience. And the fact that we had those with mom by our side was amazing. And her herself, just looking back on her career, I remember a couple of years ago, the great Paddy Madden, now Dr. Paddy Madden, mm-hmm. Marino got us to all complete the famous granny project. Now, she wasn't a granny at the time. <laughs> She didn't take too fondly to being called Granny Time. No. However, she was a great subject for me to explore the Granny Project. And uh, I remember interviewing her about her time applying for teaching and, uh, you know, doing the leaving cert and getting um, 
through all the hoops to get into Mary Eye and doing the sewing and knitting contribution and getting trained by, again, I'm sure people listening to the podcast will remember these names, two nuns called Morgan Gog, who were in, uh, I believe they were in Kerry's Fort, but they were from Brosna. So they'd be bussed down to Kerry to prep all of the Kerry teachers who'd be applying for teacher training. So wow. they'd be ready for the interview. Yes. Um, thinking about all of that and knowing about all of that and knowing about her experience in Mary Eye and then seeing her teaching and, and being alongside her through our primary school years. I mean, she was a huge influence in all of us and continues to be. She eventually retired and she uh-huh. is loving her life, let me tell you, in retirement. But uh-huh. she retired as deputy principal of the school, which I know she and all of us were very proud of. Oh, hugely. And before I let Brian on to the GM, I, I must tell this little bit of a story that I have a new, I've never met your mother, mother, but I have a newfound sympathy for her because the whole you know class of junior infants in Freshford calling her mammy as she walks down the street. My, my wife, um, we have four daughters and they, you know she got sick and tired from time to time being called mammy all the time. Because <laughs> it'd be mammy, mammy, this, that, the other. So we're going on holidays one year and we're heading off down to Kerry or Clare, one of those places anyway. And she turns around to the kids in the back seat and says very clearly, and listen, she says, for the next three weeks, I'm on holiday, so you're not to call me Mammy. You can call me Trident. You can call me any other name of the son you want. You are not calling me Mammy for the next three she weeks. She can never clock off. As well I know now, once it begins, you just yes. clock off. <laughs> exactly. Brian, do you want to come in on the, the whole GA community angle? Yeah. There's no getting away from the Mammy term once you, once you get it. Um yeah, no, just it's it's interesting, Kira, how you've as Tomas mentioned there, you refer to community so much between, you know, uh Kilkenny and Marino and all that. And then obviously the GA and your background with that, it, the GA is a central, I suppose, rock in so many communities and so is school and education. So, you know, they're so interlinked into the community. And I'm just wondering about, I suppose, your experience. I suppose, can you tell us your background, I suppose, in, in GA or sport um, start maybe? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I I have grown up in it, with it, beside it, and I have washed and hung out the jerseys. <laughs> um, so uh, my dad played hurling for Kenny and was lucky enough to have five All-Ireland medals in wow pocket at the end of his playing career yeah we say wow but in Kilkenny like you'd put a lid on that now because I mean you could walk past somebody <laughs> in nine or ten yes you know it's great no but sure we'll keep you know let's yeah. low-key <laughs> no obviously jokes aside he had a fabulous playing career I suppose uh and, and that was before I came along um uh he he has his five All-Ireland medals most notably 79 and 82 would be his I suppose mm-hmm. most significant contributions to the Kenny hurling scene. And he was lucky enough to play alongside siblings, um, most notably my my uncle Kieran, who himself went on to great things. He was the major general of the Irish Army, second in command of the Defence Forces up until recently. Mm-hmm. And had a marvellous career, loved it, but, but it all started with the club, capital T, capital C, the club, Conaghy Shamrocks, where, I mean... It is nothing bar us. I hope we would come first. I should clarify. Uh, mm-hmm. Bar us, nothing means more to my father. And uh, he had the most fabulous playing career, supported well by the club at the time. Then went on to hold almost every administrative position one can hold in the organisation. He um, was chairman of the county board, whilst also selector 
of the Kilkenny team in the early 90s when they had the successes in 92 and 93, then went on to uh, provincial administrative roles with the Leinster Council, uh, vice chair and chair, and then ultimately became president of the GA um, in in 2005 on the day that uh, Rule 42 was overturned. So it was a uh, historically significant day for the nation and most definitely for the Brennan family. And yeah, he has had amazing career and all bound up in the community of the club community of the team and the J spirit is is everything to us and I, I there's absolutely you know you've identified it but it, it I grew up watching the sacrifices that one makes when you are a volunteer I grew up watching my family make particular decisions that often meant that life was hard for us in the short term to help the community and those around us. And it's it's absolutely no surprise, really, that that has rubbed off on me to the degree that it has, because it's all I've, I've ever known, you know. Hmm. And can you can you just tell us, uh, Kira, who is your dad? Just in case any of the listeners are kind of still scratching their head wondering. And maybe what is Rule 42? There was a big, oh, Moss's voice went up there. Some of the listeners might be wondering. Who's the dad? Uh, and what's Rule 42? Uh, my father, this, can I just say, this is never happens. Normally, I'm somebody's daughter. So this is now the shoes on the other foot. Yes. My father is, he loved that one now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my father is Nicky Brennan. Um, so, yeah, that that's him. And uh, Rule 42, wow. Well, that was the famous day that the GA um, uh, relaxed their rules on the playing of uh, the so-called foreign games on Irish uh, soil and mm-hmm. GA grounds which ultimately led to this week, um, what is it now? Is it, it was 2007, so it's 14 years ago this week. Yesterday, I think, the, the first game of rugby was played in Croke Park, uh, Ireland versus France, which, what, which happened during his presidency, yeah. Well, I suppose you can connect that directly with, I suppose, Ireland as a country opening up more, uh, welcoming more, you know, on, as a whole in, in so many different ways. But I'll just go back to what you said about growing up with washing the jerseys and so on. And I suppose it's those little things that people forget about uh, when they think about the GA and when it's interwoven into school life as well. I know in St. Nessence, my own school in Limerick, I can remember obviously we're going out training on a Monday at lunchtime and Tuesday at lunchtime. And if you weren't booted off by the girls or the under-13s or the under-11s or the other teams that were competing for the pitch on the Wednesday. You'd be out there on the Wednesday as well and you'd be eating your lunch after school. But the, the washing the jerseys, I'll never forget the, the days of, you know, you have your match on the Monday and, and you're, you're told by another teacher, you know, we have a match tomorrow now as well. I'll need those jerseys. So you'll be, you'll be hauling them home um, because there mightn't be any uh, washing up uh, powder or so on in school. So you'd have 30 jerseys hanging out the back of your house and trying to have them washed and dried back in for for the Tuesday morning. So uh, it's it's it, there's so many unseen things that go on, but yeah, the community of the GA and the schools. How do you how do you see it fitting? I suppose into school life and what's the relationship between schools in Ireland and that sporting and that that culture? Where do they overlap? Or what's your experience of that? Well, I think the contribution of coming among school to Irish schools, not only when you look at like what they've done for the GA, but what they've done for Irish society in helping particularly rural parishes to maintain a sense of community and a sense of teamwork through the playing of the games at whatever level they were, were pursuing it and whatever games they were playing. It's remarkable. And I think that the, the GA wouldn't be where it is without Irish teachers giving up their own time to contribute 
um, and to volunteer to support teams and to drive people to matches and to, to line pitches and to hang to, to hang nets, etc. It just wouldn't happen without Irish teachers. And if you speak to any intercounty hurler or footballer, they will often refer to the most influential person in their life as being their primary school teacher. I often think back to if you speak to any of the Ballyhale hurlers, for example, they'll always talk about Joe Dunphy in Ballyhale and the impact that he made in their career. And it, it, it goes right back to that. And whether you ever go on to pursue, uh, you know, your GA career at that high level or not, just the sense of the, the links and the ties and you're moving the school then into the community and linking it to the club. I mean, our Irish primary school network and our GA clubs are intertwined. They have, it's a beautiful marriage and they coexist in a very symbiotic way. Um, and I truly believe it is for the benefit of rural Ireland and, and, and the whole country. Um, but yeah, it, it just yeah. remark, you know. Yeah, and I suppose since COVID, since March, I think it has been... Um, I, that has been shown so much about not just what schools and the GA and sport provide as you know as an activity, but their function in society. Schools as much more than just the provision of education, but they have a huge social function. And the GA, um, you know, people meeting up. I know last year. Uh, pe- people have nothing to talk about when there's no uh, championship Sunday coming up. They don't have anything to talk about during the week. And it gives people, I suppose, um, outside of education and within education, uh, schools and, and sport, they provide so much more than what they appear to provide on the surface. They, you know, they're so, the structures. Um, so I suppose hopefully we will get back to, you know, face-to-face teaching and face-to-face football. Pretty soon. And I, I agree. I agree with you, Brian, because I mean, it's only when these things are taken away do we realise the enormity of the loss. And I think this lockdown period in particular since Christmas, people have really struggled because with both the schools and sport um, taken out of the equation, that there's this sense of, well, what are the ties that bind? And that's why mm. we're struggling at the moment, because we don't have those ties that bind. They're, you know, even, even when prior to Christmas, when so much of society was fragmented and it was difficult to cope, and my own students say we're working remotely at third level, with the schools ticking over, there was the hum of the bus coming up every day and children coming in and out of school and even seeing uniforms, that visual of children going about their business and there being some sense of, community when that was taken away and the same with the matches being on even though Croke Park was empty how magnificent to see even though Kilkenny weren't involved fair play to Limerick I will say (laughs) Um, (laughs) to see that I mean it was just magnificent to enjoy that the dubs with their six in a row all of that um people need that because it anchors us and when you take those things away from us that is what makes life difficult at the moment, you know. So you're absolutely right. And hopefully we will emerge out of this time with a newfound appreciation for the teachers of the country, um, for the whole network of support that our schools and the GA provide. Kira, you asked a really powerful question there, almost rhetorically, but I wouldn't mind dwelling for one second because you said that with the schools closed and the, the sports being uh, off as well due to the restrictions, what are the ties that bind? Now, you presumably are lecturing online, for example, at the moment from, from Marie, whatever, and you're very well connected in the teaching community as well. Here and now, what do you think is binding us in the absence of the schools being open? I know they're beginning to reopen now, obviously, but... What are we learning about ourselves? What are, what are you learning about yourself as a teacher, as a, as, a, as a person in this? 
really interesting question. And I keep trying to think about that during all of this. You know, w- will I be the same educator after this? Um, I don't think I will be. Mm-hmm. I've even been thinking about how I produce materials, how I communicate with students. There was a presumption, I think, just because they were in front of you before that you were accessing them. And I'm wondering now, when I think back to the type of the way I communicated, I suppose the face-to-face is the magic. That's the alchemy, mm. you know, that's the craft of teaching in action. But maybe the additional supports online, bringing some of the things that I'm doing now into my practice going forward, I think will be good for both me and them. Yeah. And I think ultimate comes down to, you know, the person. And I think what we're realizing now is you can be going through a course or you can be going through a school year and you're achieving and attaining and completing. But as regards you feeling fulfilled and supported as a person, you, the person in your, the entirety of your life, at whatever stage in life you're at, I think that at the moment, say, I'm really conscious of factoring in when I speak to my students about, you know, when I'm lecturing them, I don't know who in front of me is dealing with COVID right now in their home. I don't know who has been recently bereaved either by COVID or another uh, another reason. And, and they haven't been afforded that opportunity to grieve in the way that we, we are so accustomed to in Ireland. And I'm factoring all those things in now. And I wonder, was I as sympathetic before? And was I as, you know, worried about those things before? And I hope now going forward that I'll start to be more aware of those things when I, when, uh, all the time, whether or not it's uh, we're in a pandemic or not, worrying about the whole of the person that I'm educating and that, that I'm teaching. I also think as well, it has, and I've always been conscious of things like the digital divide and the inequalities, that the, the wicked problems that exist in the system that aren't going to be overturned overnight. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm particularly conscious now of speaking to those things in lectures. Um, so like when I talk about things like how marvelous it is that we can use these different ways to communicate using various different tools and how we can explore the curriculum in exciting ways using the digital um, technologies that exist now. Always kind of giving the balance there of look at where we're at right now. This isn't working for everyone. This is for many people a conversation around homeschooling, say, and um, distance learning. It is a conversation for the privileged for whom, you know, they are concerned about these things. For others, this isn't even a conversation that they're at the table of. So for Mm -hmm. our our pupils with additional needs and for those pupils who are impacted negatively by the digital divide, they don't they're not even at that place to have this discussion. So I think it's about balancing all of those things and bringing that into my teaching going forward. But ultimately, I think it's it's people. I mean, keeping people together. And, and trying to communicate as warmly and as frequently as possible and kind of having a sense of equilibrium that we are not working and learning in in normal circumstances and, you know, kind of giving people that little bit of wiggle room and respect to maybe, you know, understand that maybe today is their bad day and they're not with it and, you know, tomorrow hopefully will be a better day and that we kind of, we learn we're slogging through this together. There's another hundred questions I want to ask you on foot of that answer. That's an amazing answer. There's so much in it in terms of your personal reflection on yourself as a as a professional and the, all the wider issues. But one thing that's certainly you're popping up in my head is the, I discovered about a year ago, apparently the original meaning of the word apocalypse was to unveil 
not not crisis as such, but to strip back and unveil. And you're talking about how the essence of our humanity is being exposed in, in, in many different ways. The inequities in the system are even more, more acutely exposed. But a segue out of that is, you know, we're, we're seeing with clearer eyes, ironically, in some respects, that which was all around us all the time, the inequities or the importance of relationships. And if I could be so bold, I'm going to jump frog or leapfrog from that into the teach meet space. Mm-hmm. Because that was another example, I think, of community, the importance of community in your thinking and in your work. And the community of, in inverted commas, ordinary teachers, you know, unlock, you, you mentioned the word yourself earlier on your, in, in your reflections on yourself, the sense of agency as a teacher. So if you wouldn't mind, and we have, we've got plenty of time, would you tell the story of how Teach Me came about and, and its early stages? Because I think yourself and Kathleen were pioneers in that space. And I, I, I remember when it began to bubble up, being really excited about it, and it's really seeded so much else in the system. So where did it all begin for you? How did it come about? So Teach Meet was a concept that I was first exposed through through fantastic colleagues in SESI, the Computer Education Society of Ireland. And it was at their um, annual conference that they started to host Teach Meet events on a Friday afternoon in advance of the longer Saturday session at conference. And uh, my I was immediately fascinated by it, totally captivated by this way of learning, where essentially people would stand up and they would share a trick, tip, tool, idea, a concept. They would speak for anywhere between two to seven minutes. So it could be your mini uh, presentation, your macro presentation. Sometimes they had presentations uh, behind them visually to assist them. Sometimes they didn't. And there was this sense of you come for an idea and you give an idea back. It was quick. It was snappy. Not everything would be for you, but that's okay because that's life. Mm -hmm. I thought it was fascinating to go to these uh, events. And by the way, I I should say as well, at that time, a lot of those people contributing at SESI, not all, but a lot would have been at second and third level. So a lot of what they would have been talking about would have been um, pitched to that level and also, you know, very much in the tech space. So not everything would have been relevant to me at the time as a Deshband one primary school teacher. But I just thought the overall concept was fascinating. And Kathleen Byrne, who at the time was principal in St. Patrick's in Glencullen, was at the event with me. And it was Kathleen who said, imagine if this existed for primary school teachers specifically where we could kind of give this sense of give an idea, take an idea, share, share, share. And at that time as well, it was 2013, 2014, we were, it was a tricky time in in school as regards getting people to try and commit to professional development. You know, their people were somewhat bruised after Croke Park agreements, Lansdowne Road agreements, etc. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense of, I have no more to give. But you still have to learn. You're a teacher. We're always learning. I mean, that, that's as the saying goes. So Kathleen and I decided to look, let's give this a go. We had no idea how it was going to roll. Mm-hmm. And we had our first night on March 6th, uh, 2014, in Kathleen's own school in Glencullen. Uh, we were vaguely subscribing to the overall Teach Me principles of nobody gets paid to talk. Um, it's unstructured in that you know 
some teach meets know you know who's going to talk we decided mm -hmm. to give it some sort of a structure so that we knew we asked people to apply and then we did engage with the unpredictability element of teach meet where we put names into a hat and we picked people out at random so we kept presenters on their toes etc the first night as i say we didn't have a clue how it was going to go I think we were about three and a half hours in. No joke. I think it was around half 11 at night when Kathleen was like, I think we're going to have to stop there. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And people were buzzing. And at the start, we had about 80 people come to the first one. And it's sort of like, you know, when you throw your own birthday party and you're like, oh, Lord, will people come? <laughs> will people come? And you you open the doors and it's all oh, your, your own pals from your own school come in. Or whatever. Suddenly there was a look. There was people there. We had no idea who they were. We had no idea. And we had communicated um, through our local education centers and online. And we just realized this was the start of something really special. And from 2014 up to 2018, we went on to host many different teach meets from local school events that were themed right up to events day with yourself in the teaching council at Failcha at a national mm -hmm. level. And uh, each, you couldn't even compare them because they're all very different, but each was as beneficial and as marvelous as the, as the other, you know? I, I remember actually going to, I, I think it was maybe be a year on the go at that stage, Kira. And I'm with my Biden memories from it. It went on as late as, the, as your very first one. I couldn't believe no one had left the, the room by about quarter to 11 or 11. It was a Thursday night. I remember that very clearly. I was thinking to myself, they've got school in the morning and they're still here to give and share the ideas. And the other reminded me of was my, my grandfather's dead many years now, but he was one of the, of that generation when they were saying their prayers They'd move their lips in such a way you could hear almost hear them whispering out loud, yeah. saying the rosary or whatever. And there were teachers around me whispering out loud and, and quickly, oh, I could do that, or I could do yeah. this, or I could do the other. I was like saying the rosary. I just <laughs> the, the, it was a magical atmosphere. It, it and it, and the commitment and the the energy and the, it drew out of people was phenomenal. It really was. And there was just it was a really. I mean, obviously, I'm going to romanticize it because it was something special at that point in my career, but. You know, there were so many marvellous people involved at that time, still continue to be involved in Teach Me, but I'm thinking specifically, and it would be a miss when I'm on this podcast of all things to not mention her, the amazing Bianca, Bianca Nicole, who was, yes. I used to describe her as um, the pyramid stage, you know, the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. Bianca was the pyramid stage of Teach Me. She would come and she used to have this saying of, I'll shake my laptop and see what ideas would come out. She would help people in rapture where it would be hit after hit after hit of this website this tool this idea and she was so unassuming so unaware of her own amazing ability to communicate and to captivate people so she was just and meeting her through that time was just amazing and she is so sadly missed and honestly she's one of the people who I often feel her shadow behind me when I'm doing things because so much of what I do, I just try to emulate exactly what it is that I saw her do very early on in my career. I'm also thinking of people like Mags, of course, who mm. is so influential at Teach Me. All of the SESI community. I mean, and remember, this is an international concept. I mean, Teach Me was not something that we invented or anything. I think some people think that sometimes. Yeah, we were the first ones to do it specifically at primary level, but Teach Me was something that was at an international level. It still is. Um, and I don't, I, I think actually coming a lot of reflecting on what's happening at the moment with COVID and the way teachers are sharing online and the way the hashtags are being used to assimilate and communicate um, information out to schools. That 
is the teach me ethos that I'm not even sure would be as strong if the likes of teach me hadn't curated and cultivated that environment of sharing and collaboration. And I see so much of that time back then in everything that's happening now and the great efforts the teachers are going to to keep things afloat, even though we're working remotely. Completely. Uh, the reference to Bianca, I mean, it's, I'm so glad you, you mentioned her. Um, I remember the first time I met her was in the first failure at the in Kilmainham, and she happened to be teaching my nephew's school. That came up in the conversation, but she was doing the magic piano where the kids were connected to each other, I think with some of the simple strips of foil and wires or and and keyboards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just magical sorry Brian I, I think you were trying to come in there Brian oh no I was just um saying you know it's 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 amazing um how it has evolved and progressed and that culture of sharing resources and sharing ideas Kira has come on so much I just remember back in you know 2011 2012 in Mary I when I was training to be a teacher there would be this concept of you know there's this master memory stick somewhere and, and you need to get a copy of all the lesson plans and all the resources on it and it was you know this covert thing so you're trying to get copies of all these resources and so but now it's just so freely available online with you know you look at Skullnet so much you referenced um social media there and how hashtag ed chatty i just noticed so much sharing of um resources there just last week having a, a quick look so it has come on leaps and bounds i suppose I just wanted to add that. You know, absolutely. It is that metal concept of, look, we're, we're, we're digging deep for each other. And look, if something's working for me, it's going to work for you, chances are. So let's pool and share and help. And the concept of your colleague just being somebody who works in the immediate building of you as you, that concept, it has. I hope we never return to that. My concept of what a colleague is extends far beyond that. Our walls are porous and our relationships are deep. And I mm. think we have learned the importance of that over the past couple of months, you know. And can I just, I suppose, build and extend that on maybe a little bit in that because we're now so connected and so porous in that, you know, everything is online, uh, virtual learning environments, I suppose, you know, you're involved in, in initial teacher education there, you know, Moodle and all of these things and CISO on schools and because technology and phones are nearly an extension of us now at this stage because everything is, is so readily available is there a downside to that or i know we've mentioned so many positives i suppose as a person and then as a teacher that always on always connected concept and um, what's your thoughts on that yeah look i'm really conscious that at the moment we're all overdoing it online i mean it's and it's because our our ability to maintain personal social contacts is is predicated upon us using technology, but also then our working lives must be online too. It feels like everything is online and we can't disconnect. And, you know, I really feel for teachers at the moment. Oh my goodness, what has been asked of them has just been, you know, incredible. And the progress we have made in such a short period of time has been incredible but it does come at a personal cost and yes you know I could lay every platitude and every gratitude upon them but personally this is a really difficult time for teachers and I'm particularly conscious of those teachers for whom they not necessarily feel like the digital space is a threat but it was a big leap for them 
And, you know, I would say to those teachers, I lecture in this area, I love this area, I'm committed to this area, but I would be the first to say, this isn't always the right option for everybody. And we use digital means where possible and where appropriate. And mm-hmm. if it is meaningfully embedded in the work and if it if it is allowing you, say, to differentiate within the, within a task or it makes something more accessible, that's good. But I hope that we don't, and, and as I say, this is me saying this and I work in this area, we need to come out of this time saying, yes, technology helped us to survive, but we know it's not the be-all and the end-all, um, for, for certainly from a pedagogical point of view. And then from a health and well-being point of view, I mean, my goodness, I'm so conscious of how difficult it is um, to, to coexist online socially and then for, for, for your own uh, comm- commitments for work. And that's not even going there with the health and well-being space for young people and digital citizenship and online safety and all of those concerns, things that preoccupy me an awful lot. And these are things I worry about an awful lot when I'm working with my students. Yes, I'm talking about how beneficial these things are, but we must be prepared to challenge our own views and to flip the coin and say, well, there are negatives here and what are they? And we must be present to those too, you know? Absolutely, Kira. And that the thing is, one of the key lines you mentioned that Teach Me's references a few moments ago was uh, give an idea, take an idea, sharing. And you and I, I'm sure, have discussed in the past, and it's a very common point of discussion, the whole sense of initiative overload. And even then, the, the teachers, maybe who might come to Failsha with the best of intentions, full of enthusiasm, buzzing, etc., go to your Teach Me's at the time or whatever, and then paradoxically feel overwhelmed and almost inadequate, surrounded by exciting, brilliant ideas. And it's, the thing is almost backfiring then sometimes, because the whole point is enthused teachers applaud the excellent work they've been doing in different ways for years, but haven't maybe got recognition for. So that sense of one simple idea and you know, and how powerful that might be, and particularly in the COVID, post-COVID context, how do you think we're going to make, you talked about you know what you were kind of almost reflecting out loud earlier on, what would I keep from this experience? What would I draw from this experience? From your perspective as a teacher who's also a teacher educator, what can teachers more broadly take from this experience of COVID that would be a benefit and what might what, what might we drop? Um, as regards the initiatives that have been taken on, I would say to teachers at the moment, it's marvelous how many opportunities there are to learn. Like you can do a webinar at the drop of a hat. You can join conversations like this, um, fireside chats. You can, um, you know, have a a drop in clinic with, uh, your local education center or the marvelous PDST team. You know, there's so many opportunities to learn and upskill and learn and upskill, but, it's incredibly overwhelming for teachers and it's all well and good for somebody like me who, uh, yes, I live in a seesaw world. I feel like I live <laughs> in a, a seesaw portfolio at the moment. And yes, working on Loom and talking about things like teens and G Suite for Education, this is second nature to me. But I am aware mm-hmm. that when people like me talk, and I don't mean to be patronizing when I say this, I mean this in a, in a way mm-hmm. that I, I'm forgiving and understanding of people that when I talk like that for so many people that's foreign phrase after foreign phrase after foreign phrase and I hope that after this time that at the moment we're trying to throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks but when we do get back and when we do regroup and schools try to say okay reflect upon what we did 
take one or two things that worked for you and bring those forward in your practice. And that's, say, a message I would give on my summer courses. If I ever gave a talk, I completed a webinar series with four education centres on Wednesday, and that was my message. Yes, I might have, myself and my colleagues might have given you up to 20 different ideas. Take one or two things and always be constantly trying to better yourself in a way that you're comfortable with. Um, and that, that's a big message. Um, I think we got the digital learning framework really right, I think, because the message is you pick one area to improve upon over a year. The whole school is involved. Make it palatable, make it clear, make it understandable and have that as your focus to try and improve your own practice. But to just cut yourself some slack. I mean, you're not working in normal circumstances at the moment. And it is absolutely fair if you feel overwhelmed by what's happening at the moment. There's some people thriving in this environment. And yes, perhaps if you're maybe, maybe, and I don't mean to stereotype people, but if you are, say, living alone, and maybe if you are at a particular point in your career and you're able to attend webinar after conversation after webinar, then you're thriving and you're really feeling fulfilled at the moment. But for other people, as well, I know it myself, with family commitments and other demands, looking after elderly parents and being that contact person for your next door neighbor or whatever it is, this isn't your time to shine. And that's okay. You will get your chance to go back. And whatever you feel you have learned in this time, I guarantee you, you've actually learned more than what you think it is you've learned. And yes. that's the important message. Oh, just to come in there as well here when you were speaking about demands on teachers just for anybody who doesn't know this is just a side point you know the employee assistance service is there from the department of education and it's open i think 24 7 365 and even access to that service is available for um other family members i think as well now i'd have to check that but there's a great service there just in case anybody is any of our listeners is unaware that it's there just wants to signpost it such an important message, Brian. And, you know, asking for that help is such a sign of strength. And I think, again, this lockdown period, I think people, the veil has dropped. People are saying, you know what, I'm not okay. And that's all right. You know, I think sometimes as, as teachers, we are all singing, all dancing, particularly the performance of live teaching. Sure, I know myself, I feel like I've done that spin on a Broadway stage after an <laughs> I to lie down in bed and meet listeners. Sometimes I do. We're, wait, um, we're waiting for Tomas' spin on the Broadway stage now in the council any day, Tomas. So, you know, live Zoom. We could do a webinar. I'll take, I'll take lessons off Kira first, if that's okay, Brian. Oh, Lord. I mean, it's it's quite something. And you're wrecked after it. And I think even just seeing that and talk, like, two, was it a week or two weeks ago? I put up a, a blooper video of me trying to record a screencast for my poor, unfortunate students. And I just couldn't get the words out and it was blah 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 I shared that video I had about 10 to 15 people contact me via DM saying Kira, thank you so much for sharing that you made me feel so much better I feel like such an idiot I couldn't believe it I had shared it as a joke as in look at me the big bloody idiot I couldn't even mm. you know but people actually found comfort because we are perfectionists as teachers. We think we have to get it right. And there is this sense you're hearing, like you turn on the radio, Claire Byrne is talking about Seesaw. Pat Kenny is talking about uh, asynchronous learning. Uh, Drive Time is talking about the live Zoom classes debate. It feels like suddenly everybody understands this world. And because we work in it, we should have as much of a command on it at the moment as others seem to have. And that is not the case. So I would say cut yourself some slack and definitely seek help if you need it. 
mind your mind. That's the most important thing. Such a powerful message, Kira. It really is. And I think that the, the other phrase that's current to me, and it loops back to the very beginning of this conversation, this greater honesty of humanity, you, you, you emphasize at the very beginning, it's about the people. It comes back to people at the end of the day. And, and you and that very powerful, almost poetic phrase, the veil is dropped, you know, that... Mm-hmm. You know, and we can say it often enough, I suppose, can be in the sense of you, you send to people, cut yourself some slack. Look at me. I made an idiot myself. You put it out as a joke, but look at the, the impact that had. But we need, I think we've, we need to keep doing that, Kira. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure the message is getting through to everyone to the extent that we would like, but it's, it's a really powerful message to be broadcasting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability is a powerful thing. And I think that it's, it's, again, I think back to my great teachers that I had, be it, back in Freshford learning from my own mother or being in the Prez and learning from the great Mick O'Keefe or Greta Brennan or again being in law or going getting into Marino and working with Paddy Madden, Patricia Seven, these great educators. They were vulnerable. They were part of the process. They were emotive. They you know, we saw all sides to that's what you are as a teacher. We are not this is why Technology will never replace us because we have these human attributes. So don't be afraid to be that person that you are, because I guarantee you, the more authentic you are to self, the more impact you will make on on your pupils as a teacher. I I just I feel that so strongly. Kira, there's I mean, half the areas I wanted to discuss with you, we haven't got round to. <laughs> so we we will be having you back in the future. Just by letting you know that I'm putting on notice now. Um but there's a nice kind of a, a kind of a, a cycle to the conversation and the way you're talking and, and the way you're speaking. I think it's it's we're coming into land now. It it seems to me. Um, and if you don't mind, I want to. There's a, an, another powerful phrase you you evoked in the very very beginning where you talked about how COVID is challenging us all. But what do we really want in the world? And if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind turning that question to you as kind of the closing one, as your closing reflections to those who listen to the podcast in the near future, maybe beyond. But here now in February 21, as we are in the middle of a, of a, a third lockdown, I think, in Ireland and probably the most severe so far, as a mother, mm-hmm. as a teacher, as a teacher educator, wife, daughter, all of those things, what is it you really want in the world? Well, it's interesting you should say, you know, as a mother, I, I definitely... My daughter is 19 months old and um, you do, obviously, you see the world differently anyway the minute you become a parent. I mean, nothing would change your life more. But all of this, I'm looking at her because she's obviously thankfully oblivious to everything happening in the world. But I'm conscious of the fact that as she starts to, you know, you know, join formal schooling and everything, it will be the aftermath of this. And I've been trying to think, like, what do I what would I like her schooling years to be like having Mm -hmm. appreciated all of this one thing for me is I think that we need to value the full curriculum the whole curriculum and the holistic curriculum um I think it's been fascinating when you talk to teachers about how it is the arts music visual arts drama activities um outdoor learning activities these are the kind of things that have actually sustained us during this time And if it matters to us when the chips are really down and if they're the things that keep us afloat, well, I hope that maybe when teachers go back, fingers crossed, in September, where there's a little bit more normality, we hope, we hope, that they will challenge their their own thinking and say, well, what is the priority? And I'm not saying literacy and numeracy aren't 
of, of major concern to us. And of course, I'm worried about academic attainment and how children might have slipped back and all of that during this time. But let's really think about the things that feed us as people and the things that keep us going as a nation, as a, again, that word community, the things that sustain our interest. Let's really make sure that they are enshrined and protected in our curriculum. That's one thing. I really hope as well going forward that we've looked at how we can do without uh, digital access. Again, I'm not saying it is the solution to everything and it must be challenged how we use it. And we always need to be monitoring that space. But we do know that during this time, education has become increasingly commercialized and those who have will be further along and those who are without are further back. And that has a lot to do with the digital space. And we need to challenge that within the department, say, how are we allocating our funding? How are we equipping people to learn? And I would include in that, actually, say, teachers being equipped with technology to teach Mm -hmm. appropriately online. So I suppose they're my two major things as regards schooling. I am very concerned going forward into the next school year and beyond about teachers' ability to support communities to come out of COVID and everything. And I think I'm very interested in trauma-informed practice and how our teachers can be supported to help our communities to, to come back together again, processing everything that has happened over the last year and will go forward for the next few months. So these are things I'm concerned about in the immediate. On a wider scale, I suppose, I hope that we have a newfound understanding and respect for our frontline colleagues of which teachers are a key component. I hope that that sense of, oh my God, we need the schools open, I can't cope without the schools. I hope that is understood at the highest levels possible, that the value of our schools go far beyond anything I think we ever anticipated or even were aware of. And it was only when it was taken away did we realise what that loss was. And then I suppose another thing at a national level, I would love to see our school leaders get the respect that they deserve because they are not just the school principal. They are the local linchpin around which so much of community survival happens and around which uh, thriving happens. And unless they are supported in financially, emotionally um, and, and psychologically to do the work that they need to do, then we are we will be in a really difficult place going forward and we won't get the right type of people going into school leadership. So these are the things I suppose I'm most preoccupied with, but hopefully I would say just getting back a sense of normality, whatever that new normal is, and seeing people again, um, that we may we will remember what is necessary from this time and take see the good in it when it is appropriate to do so. I don't think we're there yet. Mm-hmm. And I feel even it is crude and nearly inappropriate to talk about the benefits of this time. But a time will come where we will look back and say, maybe we cut down, we trimmed down, and maybe we slowed down a bit. And that was that was for the betterment of all of us. Um, and I hope that point will come in the not too distant future. Uh, I don't think we're there yet, but I hope we get there and we do see that there was some good in this time, horrific and all as it was. For so many people in our in our world. Well, I mean, amen to that is probably an inadequate response here at this point, but certainly a fulsome uh, 
agreement in, in nonetheless, um, particularly your close interacts with the school leader and the commu- and the schools as the beating heart of our community communities. In their absence, we realize how much they are. Um, and it's something we're very keen to work on in the teaching council through the, the beacons process that we're, we're pursuing at the moment. But it's a very like the whole conversation has been Kira. Those are very powerful and inspirational messages with which to conclude f- from you. Um, I mean, literally, I think I, I had about four or five areas maybe drafted at the beginning that I said I want to touch on these areas. I didn't get to the half of them, and there's a hit more I want to get to in the future conversation. So that that's the hallmark uh, of a great conversation, I have to say, and and, and inspiration, input, input, and, and thoughts from yourself. So as we wrap it up, then, Kira, I want to thank you most sincerely. I really do. I just think you're um, how you've spoken about yourself, your family, your career, uh, your friends, your loved ones. It it all. I I can't say exactly how, but it does actually all hang together. I think those, if we listen back in this podcast and those who will listen to it and, and as they listen to it, come to a close now, somehow it all hangs together. And that's that's something absolutely remarkable. Um, so I thank you, Kira, for, for agreeing to uh, undergo this very strenuous grilling between myself and Brian <laughs> Fay and the Teaching Council. It's been an absolute joy and pleasure. To my colleague Brian for being a, a most gracious co-host and bringing that his perspective um, as a primary teacher and a sports person himself and so on. And we will forgive him this much, but also as a Mayo man. I mean, oh, I we, we can't Thanks, all be perfect. Well, and of course, I shouldn't be talking because I'm a Carolina man. So, I mean, uh, I've got even less to talk about in the sports yeah, area. No leg to stand um, on there, it's Moss. <laughs> Very careful. <laughs> Very careful. People at glasses and all the rest. Um, to all my colleagues in the comms team, in the teaching council, it's Avril, Jean and Claire and everybody in that team and Susan as well, mm-hmm. because they're literally working behind the scenes and in, in, in making this podcast a reality. Um, to everyone who's listened to this podcast, uh, including our international audience, literally around the world, I hope you found this as inspirational and as informative as myself and Brian did. Um, please spread the word, share the link of the podcast, your friends and colleagues, push this out. I think this conversation is one most worth listening to um, by anybody who cares about teaching, learning, education in any part of the world. And if you have any comments or thoughts on the series so far or any aspects of our work in, in the communication space, info at teachingcouncil.ie will get us via email. And of course, uh, we're very prominent on Twitter. Um, ask Teaching Council is the handle. So if you DM us on that or post a, a, a tag us our handle on a tweet, we, we, we would appreciate all feedback and thoughts on this podcast and other podcasts in the series. And don't forget also with the Learning for All webinar series uh, going again with the PDST, that's the Professional Development Service for Teachers. To Kira, to Brian, to all our listeners, thank you for the conversation. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe and stay connected.